Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you looking for a place to belong? I grew up in church and I can tell you that sometimes even I can feel like an outsider. But we want to be the church that everyone can feel at home in. From the seasoned believer to the person who's just not really sure whether God is out there at all. So we're pouring all of our attention into small groups. Small groups are where we want to hear from you and help you take root and grow in relationship with other people just like you. For more information on small groups, send us an email at fbcrungi at gmail.com with your name and information and title the email, I'm interested in small groups. Do you want to know how to help an entitled person to not feel so entitled? Well, it has a lot to do with our obsession to do things the easy way. You stick around, we'll tell you how. This message is entitled, Doing Things the Hard Way. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. I don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it! The word of the Lord. Stop it! Do you ever get frustrated with people? People just won't behave the way that we want them to sometimes, right? I mean, it's it's easy to get frustrated at people, especially when you run across somebody who's entitled. Now, I, I, I think we all know somebody who is unrighteously entitled. That they, they feel entitled for something. They feel owed. They feel like they don't have to take responsibility. Whatever it is, they, they are entitled. And I think we all know somebody like that. If you don't know somebody like that, somebody's probably thinking of you. You probably should think of somebody real quick. These people are always hard to be around. They're, they're frustrating. And, and we just want to tell them, stop it. What is the matter with you? And, and I think, you know, it's easy to condemn somebody, but I think as followers of Christ, we really, really want to help people, especially those who feel like they're owed and have no business feeling like they're owed. Because truthfully, they're not God. We don't owe, you know, only person we owe everything to is God. And so, um, before we dive into God's Word and start addressing how to treat this disease, which is what I believe it is, it is a disease of the heart, I feel I need to say a few quick words about ministering to an entitled person or ministering to any person for that matter. It is impossible to help someone, to truly minister to them if you don't have a good relationship with them. 
Sometimes we have to build a relationship with people, and sometimes that happens quickly, sometimes it doesn't happen quickly, but we need a relationship that's built off of trust because if people don't trust us when we're trying to help them, they will not listen, which means that we need to be very, very careful on how we treat the lost sheep. If we burn our bridges with people, we cannot have a relationship with them. So taking an approach where you're standing on top of a box, yelling at somebody, repent sinner, or maybe even open your Bible and say, this is what the Bible says, now repent. That's not the best way, I believe. And I don't understand this is a philosophy of ministry, but I just don't believe that we can help somebody unless we have a good relationship with them. So we have to be careful how we treat people. I think if people even get a whiff of an attitude of self-righteousness, it will destroy the relationship. So it's important for us to have a spirit of humility when we, when we talk to people and minister to people and try to help them with a loving spirit. You know, If we have to tell the truth, listen, I'm telling you the truth because I love you too much not to. Um, never forget that true, genuine ministry is very, very hard. It's, it's not easy. It is difficult, which we'll talk a little bit more about in just a few minutes. But it's also important to know that if you have an entitled person in your life, somebody that frustrates you to no end, it's very natural to feel responsible for the part that you have played in influencing that attitude. And I think maybe we need to recognize that maybe there are some things that we have done that have influenced people to um, become entitled. Um, it's certainly possible that, that we have made mistakes in our relationships with others, with the people especially that feel entitled. It's possible that life may have thrown them a few curveballs. But those mistakes, those curveballs of life, in and of themselves are not what creates an entitled person. Now, you may or may not have remembered that a couple of weeks ago I read a quote from Dr. Henry Cloud's book, The Entitlement Cure. Um, he said that entitlement, the attitude of entitlement, is a choice. That you, you don't necessarily um, create an entitled person. That every single person chooses whether they are or whether they aren't going to feel entitled to something. And honestly, he says this is the way it, hap- the way it happens is, is that it's the easy way. People choose to be entitled because it's the easy thing to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you know why water uh, in rivers, that rivers don't just go straight, that they bend and they turn? The reason why is because water always follows the path of least resistance, which means when water runs into a rock, it's easier to go around that rock than it is to go through it, which is why water uh, in rivers bend. Um, it's, it's easier for us as people to act a lot like water um, in that the sinful nature teaches us to be a lot like water. For example, water fills whatever shape it's in. Um, if, if you are in a group of people and uh, maybe people that you don't necessarily know or you want to be around, sometimes you and I, we can act differently. We can act a lot like them because we want to belong. And it's difficult to be your own person. Um, water doesn't know how to be firm and stand its ground. James said in James 1, 5 through 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. 
But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. It's like water, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'd receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So God wants us to be stable in what we believe and how we behave. He wants us to be firm. You know, it's easy to adopt what other people believe in and, and, and try to fit in. And water doesn't do what's hard. Water does what's easy. But God doesn't always want us to do what's easy. And I think this it, it relates to entitlement because if you think about it, entitlement directs you to do what's easy, to always give the minimum, to find the shortcut, and to only think of yourself. For example, you might have heard this said, maybe you've said this, why should I wash my clothes when all I have to do is take my laundry back to my parents and my mom will do it for me? Or even, why should I go out and get a job when I can stay at home and enjoy myself? Besides, my wife and kids, you know, they can take care of me. My kids are grown, they have jobs. Why should I get out and work? Why should I put out extra effort at work when I'm going to get paid the same either way? I mean, think about it. Why should I do more? I get the same. Why in the world should I turn from this sin in my life when I'm going to go to heaven either way? Now, what I've just described for you is some examples of the easy way. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Wide, broad, destruction, many. Listen to verse 14. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Small, narrow, life, few. If you look at that passage of scripture, I believe Jesus is absolutely talking about salvation and how to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. But I also believe that Jesus is giving us a principle by which his followers, the change makers in this world, the salt and the light, how we are to live our lives. Why is the gate wide and the road broad that leads to destruction? And why do many people enter through it? The reason why is because it's easy. Why is the gate to eternal life small and the road narrow? Why do only a few find it? Because it's not easy. It's very, very difficult. Now, I know you most likely heard someone say to you, okay, we can do things the easy way or the hard way. And we choose most of the time the easy way when the option is presented to us do I want things to be hard or I want things to be easy? We want things to be easy. And so most of the time, that's the way that we go. But we almost form an obsession with the easy way. If you think about it, we, we, we just want things to be easy in life. That's human, the sinful human nature. But did you know that most of the time, the hard way is God's way? Now, I'm not remotely suggesting that we shouldn't listen to the advice of our elders and, and repeat all the mistakes that other people make and learn our, you know, we have to learn it the hard way. I'm not suggesting that. I'm simply saying that I've noticed that in life, doing what's right is generally the hardest thing that we can do. You know, it's easy to fudge the numbers and lie. It's hard to practice transparency 
and be honest. Now remember, the attitude of entitlement is, is to expect special treatment to feel owed while refusing to take responsibility. That's the easy way. It's easy to let everybody else serve you and act like you're owed. It's hard, very hard, to serve others. And you know, I, I've seen people just on this, this one point, I've seen people, and even myself, go to church for years and never really learn how to serve people until a long ways down the road. So for example, whenever I first started coming to church, you know, and I grew up in church, but I mean, I, because I grew up in church, it's like, serve me. I'm not being fed. What, do I, what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? And, and, and I'm telling you, it was years, years of this. And even after I rededicated my life, or really, I believe when I got saved, that I, I started to look up and realize that it's not all about me. Church isn't all about me. I, I don't need to be served all the time. I need to be serving because that's where true joy is. That's what Jesus did. It's very hard to serve others. It's easy to pass the blame. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. You know, I just inherited all these problems. It's very hard to accept responsibility and deal with the consequences. You know, most of the time, God's way is the hard way, which is why it's so incredibly important for us to understand to, to help an entitled person, a person who's caught in the trap of doing things the easy way, that we need to model the path of the hard way and encourage them to join alongside us. Not condemn them, not tear them down, but to build them up. And this is what I mean by that. It's important for us to understand that we need to do what's right, especially when it's hard. It's so hard that, that we have consequences dealing with it are going to come when we do what's right so that other people have a model to follow. You know, when we often get frustrated with people, it's because they don't behave the way that we want them to. But just for a minute, just for a minute, consider the fact that you and I might be part of the problem. Are we, are we enabling people to feel entitled? Sure, entitlement is a choice. But... Maybe we're doing something to make that choice easy for the people around us. For example, in the book Boundaries, there's a story about two parents that make an appointment with Dr. Cloud one day to talk to them about their son. But when they show up to speak with him, their son isn't with them. And Dr. Cloud asks, well, where's your son at? And the parents reply, oh, well, we asked him to come, but he doesn't think he has a problem. And Dr. Cloud says, well, tell me about him. Tell me about the situation. We'll see if that's true. And so the parents proceed to tell him how they, they, they just tried to make sure that he doesn't have to work so that he can just focus on school. But all he really wants to do, uh, not only does he get thrown out of school after school after school, but he just wants to sit at home all day and play video games and hang out with his friends. And even he started doing drugs. And, and Dr. Cloud you know, listens to the parents and he says, you know, your son's right. He doesn't have a, have a problem. And the parents say, well, are, are you crazy? What are you talking about? Have you not even been listening to us? Of course he's got a problem. And Dr. Cloud says, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have a problem. You have a problem. You pay his rent. You don't make him work. You, you try to fix his education situation. You allow him to sit at home all day and play video games and do drugs while you go out and work your tail off. He doesn't have a problem in the world. You do. Would you like for us to sit down and figure out how to make sure he has problems? 
Now, sometimes we, we want others to change. I, I think that's undeniable. There are people in our lives that you just not behave in the way that I feel is either biblical or you're acting entitled or whatever. And, and some of the time, I would say a lot of the time, we are doing things to prevent them from changing. Which means, in some circumstances, if we really want to help people, we need to stop trying to help people so much. And, and let me just give you an example of what I mean by that, because I know that can sound like, well, I'm not going to do any ministry. That's not what I'm saying. Let me just, it's been a while since I shared some family drama with you, so I guess we're due. Um, my dad grew up in an extremely abusive home. His dad was an alcoholic psychopath. And because his father was so extremely abusive and selfish, my dad ended up carrying a lot of baggage into his marriage and eventually into his style of parenting. And because his dad was so selfish and uncaring, I think my dad was bound to determine that he needed to be nothing like his father. And um, if you don't know this about my dad, let me just say this. He is extremely generous. I mean, extremely generous. His dad was a cheapskate, only cared about himself, didn't care about his kids, stole money from my dad, stole money from everybody. But, uh, you know, my dad is extremely generous in everything that he has. And if I were to call my dad right now and say, hey, dad, I'd like a vacation in Hawaii. Do you know what he would say to me? Okay, uh, when, when do you want to go? <laughs> now, I do believe this is because I'm his son and he loves me, so you probably wouldn't have as much um, I don't know luck, or you probably wouldn't have as as much of a of a success, I guess, if you were to try and call him and do that. But then again, he might do it for you too. My dad is an extremely generous person. He doesn't want his kids or his grandkids to suffer the way that he suffered. He doesn't want anybody that he loves and cares about to suffer the way that he suffered. And I think it's it's interesting. He's spilled over. This baggage is spilled over into his life and, and those around him in a way that is even unhealthy. I love my dad. He's extremely generous. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. When Aaron met me, did you know that, she, that my dad was paying my cell phone bill um, every month and that he was paying for my car insurance? When Aaron found out about that, she was, she was, she was pretty upset. And I'm like, what's the big deal? And you know, the thing is, is I love to brag about how I, I bought my own car. You know, my first car, I paid for my first car. I'm the youngest of, of three. My, my little brother is adopted, so we have four. But you know, he, he can't drive. Uh, he's mentally retarded, so he can't drive. And so I'm the I'm the only sibling that paid for his his first car. However, it was my dad that was paying for the insurance so that I could drive my car. And I don't like to tell that part. But when Aaron met me, she was very upset about that. I'm like, Aaron, what's the big deal? I mean, I work. I pay my own rent, I pay my own groceries, I pay my own utilities. But she pointed out to me that I was entitled. I was enti- I felt entitled um, for him to pay for those two things because he paid for everybody else's. See, in my mind, I thought, why should I pay extra money every month for car insurance and a cell phone bill when my dad will pay it for me and I don't have to worry about it? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Why should I make it harder on myself? But see, I also like to complain that I didn't have full coverage, that I only had liability on my car. So if I hit somebody, it was, you know, it's not going to repair my car. I'm going to have to get a different car. And I also like to complain that we didn't have text messaging on my phone. You know, because my dad didn't like text messaging. It was too expensive at the time. Now you got this package where you can do as many as you want. But whatever. 
Aaron had a hard time convincing me to stop being so entitled and learn to be completely independent. Not independent from God or independent from others, but independent financially. And so I I think the only reason I caved in this is because of the relationship that we had. I trusted her, and I didn't want to lose respect in her eyes. Which, if you think that that's bad, let me just share with you just... you know, what some other family members were doing with my dad, because I think the situation was much, much worse. My dad was making house a house payment for a house he didn't live in, um, car payments for cars he didn't drive, bills for electricity, phone, internet, insurance, groceries, all these things he didn't use. And I know at one point he was paying a cell phone bill for nine people, nine people who did not live in his household, of which I was one. Now, if you asked him why he did all these things, he would say, I just don't want anything, anyone I love to have to do without. In fact, I would go to my dad after I became independent and say, you know what, dad, I'm financially independent. Other people need to be like me, almost like, hey, they owe me this kind of thing. And I would tell my dad, I said, dad, you need to stop being so generous with them. Because I mean, I got a good reason. What, what, are, we, what are we gonna do with these people when you eventually retire or you die. I mean, you can't pay for all these things forever. Now, and my dad would respond to me. He's like, you know, John, it's my money, and if I want to drive down the road and throw it out the window, well, then I could. Now, I bet you're really starting to wonder where exactly my dad lives and how to be in contact with him, huh? Well, I tell people my dad is extremely generous, but I also tell him that he's generous to a fault. He's so generous, he enables people to feel entitled. And and he makes it easy for people to feel entitled. You see, in his mind, he wants so badly to spare people from the experiences that he had, experiences he won't really even talk about, and he wants better for his children. He wants his children to have better than what he had. He wants his grandchildren to have better than what he had. However, I believe that he in turn creates an opportunity where it's easy for others to feel entitled. And, and, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, my dad's doing this. What about me? Am I making it easy for other people to choose an attitude of entitlement? Now, what we know about Jesus is that he almost never walked down the easy path. That's why he tells us, wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many people are going to find that. That's the easy path. But I'm telling you that small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only if you find it. Have you ever read about how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? He went into the wilderness for 40 days. He followed the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days, he had no food. The devil came to him and tempted him in three different ways. He said, hey, turn this this rock into bread, and you'll have it. Now, I believe there was a deeper message behind that, but essentially what, what Jesus did is he told him, you know, a man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from my father's mouth. But think about this. Jesus was tempted to do that. What does that mean? It means Jesus could have done it. He could have turned this rock into bread. He could have jumped off a high ledge as he was tempted later and the angels would have caught him. And he could have gone and had authority over the the whole earth because of who he is. Jesus could have done that, those things. But Jesus, even though he had the power and the authority to turn a rock into bread and and to demand authority, He instead resisted temptation on three separate occasions. 
You know, Jesus could have walked away from the cross and escaped his captors. Because think about it. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He could have gone to a place where Judas would have never found him. And he could have pointed out to everybody, hey guys, we need to keep this Judas guy out because he's going to betray me. He could have, you know, Simon Peter could have probably killed them all. He was a madman with a sword. And Jesus told him, no, no, put your sword down. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. He's telling him, listen, that's the easy way. Let's do things the hard way. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he, um, he, he told one of the thieves on the cross, he says, do you really think that if I asked my father to deliver me, that he wouldn't send 12 legions of angels? Do you really think that if I just, all I'd have to do is just cry out and God would deliver me? Now, I think this is an interesting point. It doesn't really have much to do with what we're talking about today. I just think it's really interesting. Did you know that in 2 Kings 19.35, the Bible tells us that one angel of the Lord went out one night, one, one angel, and killed nearly, or killed 185,000 men. That's what the Bible tells us. He killed it. One. So what do we know about a legion of angels? Well, a legion is, uh, we believe, is around 6,000 soldiers. So if you do the math, 12 times 6,000, 12 legions times 6,000 angels, um, times 185,000 people. If Jesus had cried out for deliverance from the cross, he could have had 13.3 billion people killed overnight. By the way, that's almost double the earth's population today. Um, Jesus, though, he didn't choose the easy way. And, and it's, sometimes it's just beyond me why God would, would come to this earth and suffer and die on a cross. Why? Why would you do that? Jesus chose the hard way because of a greater return. Jesus wants the lost sheep to come to him and get to know him as the good shepherd. And because Jesus is a master of doing things the hard way, we should watch him and learn from him and practice the things that he practices. But just for a second, consider what it might look like to do the hard thing in our community and in our families, to do what's right. It could mean that we have to go and we have to kick somebody out of our house so that they can experience the pain of what it feels like to have to work for a living. And when that happens, it could mean that we are accused of being the worst Christian, most unloving person in the world. That we've turned our back on people. Because how could we love them if we would really allow them to suffer like this? I mean, they just pour on the guilt trip, right? It could mean that we have to make a hard phone call on people because they need a wake-up call. It could mean that we have to tell people no whenever they try to guilt us into things that every Christian should do. It could mean that we have to rearrange something in our lives and get rid of something that is sucking the joy of our salvation away from us. It could mean that we we, we have to, we can't allow our children to be raised by somebody else and that we need to do that. It could mean that we need to show love to those who are being otherwise neglected and even uncared for, even though it's more of our time and it's something that we have to sacrifice. It could mean that we have to put up with a self-righteous, uncaring attitude from somebody just because there is a greater good that could be accomplished. It could mean that we have to start paying our own insurance and our own cell phone bills because it's not right to rely on somebody else to pay for what we're using. 
It could mean that we have to go out and work a job that we never envisioned ourselves working so that we don't have to feel the sting of self-shame and resentment of living off the government subsidies. It could mean that we, we go out and we hug and we love on someone and pray for them when we just want to choke them to death. It could mean that we have to give grace to others when, when, when they knew what the consequences were and they chose to do the things that they did and they deserve wrath. Listening, doing the hard thing isn't always the right thing. But I can almost promise that doing the right thing will almost always be hard. If we as followers of Jesus Christ don't do the right thing, think about this. Who will? If we don't do the right thing, who's going to do the right thing? And I, I, it's extremely frustrating. People don't behave the way that we want them to, and we just want to open our Bibles and say, oh, look, a word from the Lord. Stop it! Stop! But the right thing to do is hard. The right thing to do is, is to be patient with people because God is patient with us. Remember what Jesus actually said. The gate is small. The road is narrow. Few find it. But hey, it's hard, but hey, it leads to life, eternal life. Jesus wants us to follow him into the hard way because doing what's easy will not turn out well for us. He said that road is broad, the gate is, is wide, and a lot of people take that path, but it leads to destruction. Listen, this doesn't mean that we work for our salvation. What it means is that Yes, we are saved by grace, not by works. However, now that we are saved, now that we have a relationship with Christ, we must follow Him, and He is leading us a lot of the time to do the hard thing because it's right. It's just the nature of being a follower of Christ. Followers follow. So don't resign to do things the easy way. Do what's right, even if it's hard. Even if you're accused of being the worst individual in the world, sometimes we have to sometimes we have to do what, what's right, even if it, it hurts our relationship a little bit. You know, I my mom, I, I tell people this. My, my mom is one of those people who helped save my life. I was caught in a drug addiction. And where everybody else just wanted to ignore the problem and, and not damage the relationship because that was easy. My mom was one of those people that said, you know, John, I know what you're doing and it's going to stop. If it doesn't stop, I will call the cops on you and I will call the cops on your friends. And I tell my mom this, I hated you because of that. I hated you. But you know, I think that's what led me to wake up in the middle of the one night completely convicted because I looked up and I said, you know what? My mom's not the problem. Yeah, I, I hate my mom, but it's not because my mom's not doing what's right. My mom's doing the right thing. And you know, we still talk about this and we both cry when we talk about it that she had to be the bad guy. When I was the one that was caught in sin. That's hard, guys. That's hard. But doing what's right is hard. 
And if my mom hadn't done what was right, I don't know where I'd be. Don't resign to doing things the easy way. Do what's right, even if it's hard. Ignoring entitlement is easy. Doing something about it is a different story entirely. I want to end with a passage of scripture, Proverbs 21.5. This is what he says. He says, do what is right and just. To do these things is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Doing what's right is better than sinning and asking for forgiveness. Think on that. Pray on that. Move into your small groups and talk about these things. Do what's right even when it's hard. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.